everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sex, Love, and Injectables. I'm your host, Heather, and we are continuing the aesthetic series. Just to recap, we are talking about a conservative four-prong approach to anti-aging, <clears throat> including Botox, number one, volume, number two, number three is skin tightening, and number four is medical-grade skincare. So last week, we spoke to Dr. Rahani, who's a facial plastic surgeon here in DFW, to speak on the limitations of non-surgical treatments. And today, we have Dr. Sean Paul, not the musical artist, but he is a facial artist out of Austin, Texas. And we got to connect, uh, had the opportunity to connect with him last year. He offers some just state-of-the-art, non-surgical skin tightening devices. He's a plastic surgeon. He's amazing. I'm going to let him take the stage for a second. Dr. Sean Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me, Heather. I appreciate it. Well, I'm Dr. Sean Paul. I'm a Eyelid and facial plastic surgeon based in Austin, Texas. Our practice name is Austin Face and Body. Uh, I've been back in Texas for about six years after traveling across the country and training. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of our practice is focusing on how do you maximize results and, and minimize downtime. And some patients simply just don't want to have a scalpel to their skin. And so yeah. how do we work creatively with uh, nurse injectors and other providers who are doing non-surgical to take those results to the next level? Or how do we blend surgical and non-surgical to make them happy? Yeah, no, that's fair. So uh, last week we were talking to Dr. Hani, like I was saying, and he does a lot of just strictly, well, I can't say strictly. He does a lot of surgical approach. And then for myself, obviously I'm doing nothing but non-surgical treatment. So you offer kind of an in-between, am I correct? Like you have, you have treatments that are suited for people that aren't quite ready to get the scalpel. So that's kind of what I want to focus on and talk more about and just see what there is to offer. Cause even for myself at 35, you know, obviously I'm not quite ready for a facelift, although I probably would if somebody said that I could, uh, just based on the society that we're living in. But, um, what kind of treatments do you offer for the in-betweeners? It's a great question. I think over the last five to 10 years, the market really started to shift, particularly in the last two to three years where, with the adjunct and interest in fillers and Botox becoming more mainstream, patients are literally looking to press the envelope when it comes to what they can do without cutting. Uh, any, and I'm, I'm a trained surgeon. I've been operating for a long time. I also have found out that sometimes in the office, there was a gap patient who simply didn't want surgery. And so how do you manage those patients? You know, five, 10 years ago, we had to offer, all we had to offer was toxins and fillers and chemical peels and, and some laser treatments. And those were fantastic. But then the adjunct of radio frequency and ultrasound and other treatments kind of got into vogue where how do we contour skin and not just the skin from the outside, but the dermis and some of the fat that lives underneath the skin? How do we contour that to make the, shape, the face look better? And so I take a really anatomical approach to the way I treat uh, non invasive or minimally invasive contouring. And, you know, it comes with a good evaluation with the patient. So we really identify if it's the musculature, whether it's the platysma muscle, the submental fat, 
the eyelid fat or the skin that's the problem and that's really been a nice way for us to approach these patients to give them other options that aren't surgical right and i first heard word about you through one of my colleagues who took a trip down to austin to come see you and i believe she got treatment for her under eyes as well as a skin tightening in the submental area so for those listening the submental area is what i like to call the undercarriage it is the area underneath your chin that is very it, it's a very commonly treated area. It's a very tricky area area to treat. Um, but with the coming on of, of these devices, we've seen some incredible results. So tell me kind of just to backtrack a little bit, and I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So whenever I get a client that comes through the door, I explain, you know, I'm a very conservative, natural beauty driven injector. I'm big on, you know, making sure the client knows that we're not trying to shed years off to word it that way. We're trying to make them feel and look like the best version of themselves possible from the inside out. So I take a pretty conservative approach. You are able to offer both injectables as well as surgical options and the in-between. What would you describe your style? Would you say that you're more conservative or kind of go into that a little bit with us? That's a, that's a really nice thought on, on what my strategy is or what my approach to the consultation is. I, th I think patients may come into you and I'm sure you've dealt with this where they may say, oh, this wrinkle around my eye bothers me, but it really comes down to it. It's the dark circle and it's the fullness. And then they go further down the neck and it's the laxity in the skin or it's the wrinkles on their neck or the crepiness all the way down their decollete. So my approach is really figuring out usually like two to three areas that really bother a patient starting there. I think you know, we as human beings, beings can only can only digest so much information For at sure. one time. And they pay, you know, a very nice consultation fee for us to give us our expert opinion. Uh, and I know Heather yourself, you're booked out. I book out as well. I mean, a lot of that is they pay for your time to give them honest opinion on what you can do, what you can do to help them. And also if you can't help them reach their goals, who can? And that's part of our duty as practitioners to give them the best resources possible. Absolutely. I think that's critical. So as my practice began to grow and I became interested in newer, most more innovative ways outside of simple surgery or some of the old school techniques for injecting, you know, I really saw the advent of advanced tech, uh, injecting techniques come to come into vogue. And, you know, not everyone is suited, whether it's from a patient management standpoint to do those things or, or a skill standpoint. So it takes time to learn those skills. What I really liked about minimally invasive contouring, whether it be eyelids or jawline, is some patients have a phobia about going to surgery. Some patients are also fearful of anesthesia. So how did we get these patients serviced and to reach their aesthetic goals whether it was a 30% improvement, a 10% improvement, a 50% improvement, I found out there was, there was this entire gap between something that was non-surgical, what well be it skincare or um, a chemical peel or a facial to surgery. There was this entire gap there that just was missing the boat. And so, you know, from a practice standpoint, we want to be able to able, we want to be able to offer our patients the full spectrum of aesthetic services. And I'll tell you, whether it was Zoom meetings or the selfie, you know, there's kind of been a progression of all these interests of people taking photos of themselves. People really became more conscientious about certain areas, whether it be underneath their chin, the submental area, as you mentioned, or their dark eye circles or bags. And so, 
you know, and you know this, we're, we're in the therapy business as well as the, as the, as the aesthetic business. We're, we're yes. listening to our clients. And so um, when I would offer them surgical as the only option for under eyes or submental, that just doesn't really everybody's cup of tea. And right. so, you know, and, and, and there were certain injections that work, but there was some variability and some hands are great, but some patients didn't want to do that. And so taking a radio frequency device or an ultrasound device, and my preferred is radio frequency, which are the Accutite and the FaceType devices. They just do a really nice job of adding skin contouring or tightening in addition to liposuction or by themselves without liposuction for underneath the chin. There's treatments like radio frequency microneedling that add texture and tone to the collagen. And I'm sure, and I haven't heard, I, I really want, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on collagen and how important that is yes. and how if your collagen isn't babied and, and, and taken care of, you shouldn't be doing any of these procedures. Yeah, And so I think no that's point. a huge part of it. No, you hit on you hit on a couple points and one of them specifically I would like to address. So, you know, there are certain practitioners that are injecting and whether it's, you know, skill set or or just the scope of practice that we're allowed to practice under, sometimes there's patients that just don't fall within that. And, you know, this is a very competitive market, but I will be the first to say, if you are somebody that I cannot treat to meet the expectations that you have, I have no shame or I don't have too much pride into punting you to somebody that does because ultimately that client's going to know that you want the best for them and they'll come back to you for certain treatments. So, um, that, that was a big, important takeaway that I got from that. Um, the other part of that is, I too have been a victim of the selfie camera when I wasn't expecting it. When you're trying to take a photo of somebody, but you accidentally hit the selfie button and it's the worst angle and you see 10,000 chins that you haven't had before. And then you have what I like to call and what Dr. Hani from last week likes to call an acute eye. So we're constantly picking apart ourselves and trying to see, you know, in what angle and what shadows can we see these certain things. And I think with COVID and the increase in Zoom calls and the increase in FaceTimes, the consultations, we are seeing an increase in people that want to address those things. So with that being said, how are you handling those clients that are coming in and cause I get this all the time as well. The clients that come in and show you their 10,000 selfie photos at different angles with different lighting. What, how, how are you approaching those clients? I guess in the most optimal way. And this is a hard question to answer because I know it highly depends on what they're presenting with, but how do like, how do you take your consultation approach to start? Kind of walk me through that. You know, we, we have patients that fill out a, a kind of a inquiry questionnaire in addition to their medical paperwork to get registered. And it's like, which areas bother you the most? And kind of and kind of what overall budget are you looking at? Because, you know, if, if, if they're dead set on doing surgery and I turn them down and I have no options, you know, they feel helpless. They feel like, hey, I really have this thing I'm insecure about. And, and how do you help me? And so I, I try to standardize photos. I think that's helpful. I still like I like to see dynamic smiling. I like to see brows lifted. I like to see patient movement. There's some great photography systems out there that show 3D as well. And that helps with some of the depth. I deal with eye dark eye circles every single day in my practice. And dark eye circles means one thing to another person, one thing, one person, and one thing to another person. It may, be, it may be steatobleferon, which is fat protrusion to one person, and it may be ethnic dark circles to the next person. So if you can't deliver an intelligent 
um, option for both those patients individually, or it may be tear trough deformity for the third person, which is hollowness below the trough, below the below the lower lid toward the lid cheek junction. You really aren't doing your job. You aren't doing your homework, and quite frankly, you shouldn't be doing anything on the eyelids because you, you right. need to. Because if you inject every trough you see and they have fullness there, you're going to end up in a heap of trouble with a lot of very upset patients who are going to yes. spend a lot of money. They're going to lose your trust, and this 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 aesthetic practice business, which it truly becomes a business because you it's relationship based, absolutely, and, and it's a trust thing. So if you're if you're a one trick pony and all you can do is inject. And you won't refer out for something that's surgical. There, you're going to actually be chasing your tail, and I think yes. that's what a lot of people struggle with. That's what I've seen um, patients sent to us who've been getting injections and injections, have getting surgery and surgery for a long time, and they've never been told of their options. And I think it's that that that's the onus is on us. Absolutely. Heather can tell you. I mean, none of us that were trained any of this in formal schooling at all. This no. is the continued education. It's it's our duty as as people who practice aesthetics to be on top of our game. And, and, and that also right. includes risks, benefits, and alternatives. And if you can't list alternatives, you're just doing your patients a disservice. Exactly. Well, and I think it's just, it's just ignorance to not. So ultimately I feel like if you want to be a good practitioner, number one, take advantage of ongoing education so that you know what options are available to your patients. But number two, never have too much pride and, you know, offering, to send somebody to another practitioner who's more qualified than you are, because you're right, this is a relationship-based business. And so we are doing a disservice if we're not punting our patients to somebody else that's more qualified to offer the most optimal treatment possible. And you touched on something under eyes is a very hot topic. And, you know, I'll be the first to punt somebody in a heartbeat if they're not somebody that I feel would be benefiting from what I can offer for under eye treatment. When you're dealing with hereditary or AKA genetic type of under circles or dark circles under the eyes, is there a treatment for that patient? You know, Ethnic under eye dark circles is a holy grail in aesthetics, as is the lid cheek junction, as is the marionette lines, as is the jowls. And I know you see these patients every day, Heather, because you are, you know, we see similar patients. And there's no perfect treatment for every single patient, uh, particularly on the under eye circles. I think we talked on this a bit earlier. If their skin is not in good, good condition, if they have bad habits, you have to correct those things holistically from the inside. You know, are you eating well? Are you working out? Are you doing the basic things from skincare? Are you putting your sunscreen on, your retinol, your cleanser? Are there, are there basic things that you're doing, vitamin C, other things that are important to you uh, or important to your practitioner before you do anything more aggressive? Right. So we really take a, a basic approach to what are you doing initially? Because I'm sure you've had the patients that come in that have been laying out in the sun for 20 or 30 years. All of a sudden, they wake up one morning and they have deep creases, extremely heavy eyelids, a very lax neck, and they want something non-surgical to fix their problem. And I'm like, you know, what have you been doing? And so, I mean, hereditary dark circles, I think initially you have to figure out the pathology, right. whether it's a tear trough, whether it's actually dark skin, which can be caused by very thin eyelid skin. And it's the appearance of the orbicularis muscle or pooling of the venous blood below that area. Um, we have to have a very deep understanding of the lymphatic system in the periocular region. And it doesn't matter if you get tear trough filler or you get Botox or Dysport, or if you get Xeomin or whatever surgery, 
Accutite, Morpheus 8, laser treatment in that area, you are going to swell. And right. most likely you may collect a little bit of pooling of heme or blood or blood particles in that area, and that may take some time to go down. So if you've not addressed the treatment options, the recovery time, and when they're going to actually see results, you have to have a clear picture of that. And that just takes time and experience. And that's a, that's a big part of why some of the treatments I've been doing, um, they do take a lot of pre-planning uh, for our patients. There's no no downtime filler around the underneath the eyes. I haven't found one that that's an instant fix. And I think we're all looking for the quick fix or the instant fix. Like what can make it look great tomorrow? And it just doesn't do that. No, so there's not. There's I no start from fixes. the skin and get a good assessment. You don't want to miss if they have some aging changes in their uh, malar mounds or their cheek area. Make sure they haven't had descent in the mid phase because that it's really the cheek to lid junction that's the critical piece. And so I utilize lasers, fillers, injectables, radiofrequency, a lot of different options, but there are no two patients I found the same. I found some topical creams as well that actually work, which has been awesome. And we pre-treat patients as well. And some post-care adjuncts to my practice, which have done, which have done an awesome job of helping swelling after these procedures. So if I can sort of zhuzh per se, they're pre and post treatment, it helps tremendously with the trust. Yeah, no. So this is a hot topic and I feel like it needs to be brought up because I'm very passionate about this. But ultimately what I feel like you're saying is that practitioners really need to look at the root cause of what's happening and stop treating the symptom because by treating the symptom, you're never truly addressing what's actually happening and you could potentially be making it worse. And with that being said, it's critically important for practitioners to understand anatomy as well as just medicine in general. I think that having a medical background as an injector is probably one of the most important things that you can do. And in Texas, we have a lot of injectors that don't carry that background. So I won't jump into that too much because it is a hot topic, but just what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like yeah, I'm treating... I mean, if you're Go if ahead. you're injecting... And you don't have someone backing you up that's a pro in aesthetics. You're just putting yourself at risk, the patient at risk, the physician that's signing your notes at risk. Those are all critical pieces of of safety. And as physicians, we're supposed to not do any harm. As aesthetic providers, it's that it's that mix of, of vanity plus medical, but there's a reason I still do some medical cases, like I'll do cancer reconstructions every once in a while, or I'll do functional surgery to fix problems. I'm getting more and more patients coming in that have had aesthetic treatments, whether it be injectables or laser or other things around their eyelids and face than I've ever seen in my career. And it's a little bit scary because they can't even tell you what they had done. I'm sure you've had that patient come in. Absolutely. Well, what'd you have done? I don't know. What'd you get injected? I don't know. And it's tough to get records from those practices. Oh, it's nearly impossible. But but it's challenging. Yeah. And then I've also had the patients who were teed up for surgery. And then like, even though I've done an extensive history and these are basics of medicine, taking a good history, they won't, they'll tell you like the last second. Oh yeah, I had fillers 20 years ago underneath my eyes. <laughs> You're like, well, that would have been helpful oh, okay. to know. Because <laughs> it, it it changes the post-operative course of these patients, of post-treatment course. It may change my decision on what I do. And I want to right. dissolve before I treat, you know? So 
And uh, yeah, no, I think that's, the, that's how crazy this business has got. It, it's gotten pretty out of control. I think that a big takeaway for practitioners, you know, and I'm sure you get this a lot where people message you asking, you know, what are the best tips that you can give me to get into this industry? And for me, my response when I have time to respond is the same. Make sure that you're, you're doing it for the right reasons. Don't do it for money. Don't do it because it sounds fun, but do it because you're passionate about helping the patient on the aesthetic side, but also make sure that you have the medical background to support these decisions. Cause I think, I don't know if it's just carelessness or if it's just pure ignorance, which I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that very respectively, if you don't have that anatomical knowledge, you don't know what consequences can come from injecting into the wrong place. So that's just for my fellow injectors that listen. And then for my prospective current past clients that listen, the biggest takeaway is unfortunately nowadays you have to be an advocate for your aesthetic care and make sure that you do your research before you find somebody to inject or treat your face, whether it be a non-surgical or surgical approach. We're at this day and age where you have to do your research, ask questions, make sure they have the experience to back up the treatment that you're, or the outcome that you're desiring. Um, and yeah, don't just go base. And this is, the pot calling the kettle black. Don't go based on just pictures that are posted on social media because we're posting our highlight reel of treatment. Uh, but I will be the first person to talk to clients about actual potential risk and complications because I want to, I want to make sure that they're making an informed decision. And I know that you do the same just based on, you know, what I've looked into for your practice as well. So yeah. that, I mean, and, that was, but, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, and I was going to say also, I mean, the eye area is so sensitive. If you inject into a vessel around the eye, you're in a heap of trouble because there's potential for vision loss, prolonged swelling, uh, migration of filler to the orbit, um, blockage of the lymphatic system. These have to at least be addressed once before you inject, but there is a possibility these options happening. Always. But if you're not doing that, it's just a disservice to your patients, quite frankly. And, um, you know, I, I think that, let, let's also remember, this is an exciting time in aesthetics. There's so much innovation. There's so much, um, there's so many options for our patient. It can almost be information overload. Because right now when I browse through Instagram or TikTok, which are the two biggest ones right now in the aesthetics world that are out there, Facebook, of course, is like the tried and true, but it's really Instagram and TikTok that are the ones talking about things. You know, I think if, 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 if you're getting information on, on different treatments, you, you want to know the risks and benefits. I mean, I can't tell you how many patients come through us through TikTok and, you know, for TikTok, I'm the TikTok face doc and I post fun, some fun stuff, some educational stuff as well. And at Instagram as well, you have to do that because you have to engage your patients. But when they come in for a consultation, you know, it's, it's every patient's totally different. It's, it's not, it's not always what you see. Absolutely. Um, also, also just one last point and, um, but, uh, just about like, you know, the, 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 companies are fantastic to work with. They support practices, they help growth. Of course, they list their safe, their safety regulations on, you know, their, their, their product, but you know, they're in the business of selling different treatments. And so we have to just be clear on what the motivations are for everyone. Of course, that's what they do. That's how they make their living. You can't blame them, but that's why we're this, we're this, we're the stop gap in this whole treatment process. We're the ones, the gatekeepers that say, yes, you're a candidate. No, you're not a candidate. If 
you want to get something here, here are your true options. And so this whole explosion in the minimally invasive space, and it's, I I have a lot of information on what's coming down the pipeline, even the next five years. I mean, it's going to totally look different. Uh, I think less and less cutting more and more non-invasive and the injectables are going to get even better. You're going to see more biostimulation. You're going to see more regeneration, regeneration of tissue, the blending of things and the projects we have we have we have like six different trials going on in our practice right now with different innovative treatments that are coming out it's all going to change and you know why it's because the consumer drives the demand which Absolutely. is they want less downtime they want less cutting yeah you want it now no i that's super exciting i mean that's part of the reason why i got into this industry is because it's constantly changing constantly keeping you on your toes so i'll never be that practitioner that you know the old age saying of don't fix it unless it's broken Kind of, but also make sure you incorporate these new age technologies because they're providing really exciting results. So I think there could be a whole podcast dedicated to, you know, talking about under eyes. There could be a whole podcast talking about just the ethics that are related to being in our practice. But just to kind of summarize it, it's just all about making sure that we're doing right by our patient. Do not cause harm and punt if you're not qualified, because they will appreciate and respect you more for that than if you cause something to happen that you're going to have to either dissolve or worse. So going back around, just looping back to skin tightening, tell us, so you said a little bit of the options that you offer. What modalities do you use? And I mean, you can feel free to promote them. I know you said skin tight, one of them, radio frequency is a favorite. What, what all do you offer on that platform? So I'll kind of go down from forehead. Or actually, I'll go up. I'll go from neck up to the eyes. We'll kind of end with the eyes there. So for my neck, I really like a brunt. So, so you have a patient that comes in that has loose skin. You want to make sure to see whether or not they have musculature bands or platysmal glands that are just static or they're dynamic. If they're dynamic, I, I love toxins. I like Zeeman. I like Botox. I like different options for that area. Um, but if those bands are static, you know, radio frequency skin tightening is not going to do a whole lot for the bands, but it will do a lot if you have patients of fullness or good skin that's just a little loose. Right. And so face tight is a device I like to use underneath the chin. I use that sometimes with conjunction in conjunction with liposuction. And that's really how the device was supposed to be used. So if you talk through a procedure, it's the patient gets local anesthesia injected into the neck. We loosen up some of the tissue. We'll um, heat that tissue with radio frequency, and that's just a small needle poke underneath the skin. It's not an incision, which is really nice. And then we'll take out some of the fullness after the skin's heated, and essentially it's an adjunct to traditional submental liposuction, which we've heard of quite a bit. But if you don't know what that is, basically that's taking out fat in areas where fat doesn't really need to be there underneath the chin. Now, one addition to my practice I've added for a more permanent option for static neck bands is Elevate. And that's a treatment you're re- one of the treatments you're referenced to that one of the uh, other pr- pr- practitioners has gone into. And that adds that next level of jaw tight, jaw, jawline definition and neck band tightening that we just haven't seen. So if you think of it from an anatomical standpoint, the Elevate procedure, my Elevate procedure, uh, you know, I it, it's a way to contour and improve the neck band appearance without an open neck lift. That's never been heard of before. So we started doing that at our practice about two years ago. We've done a ton of cases and very happy patients, particularly men, particularly um, women that are a little bit younger that don't want a traditional neck lift, but they want to do something more permanent for the bands. 
that improves the bands tremendously and you don't have to have open neck surgery and there's risk that comes with open neck surgery. It doesn't mean it replaces it. So how much of a percent improvement would you say? I would say maybe 50 to 70% of what a a surgical necklace is going to get you, which is pretty impressive, but that's in the right patient. So that's just one part of it. And then the last part of it is what are you going to do about the skin? And if you're not cutting the skin, in addition to the face side, I like to use Morpheus 8, which is radio frequency microneedling to heat and tighten the skin. And we typically use PRP or some recovery balm as well to help the skin heal. And that downtime is only about three to seven days. It's pretty impressive for a neck. Yeah, um, that's incredible. A neck result. And we post quite often on our Instagram, whether it be at Austin Face and Body or Dr. or at Dr. Sean Paul. And we have some really nice videos on our YouTube for the Austin Face and Body on our patient experiences. So I'll have patients in their late twenties, patients in their early forties or patients in their fifties that just didn't want surgery and they get, they can have a really nice contour there. Now, as you go up the face toward the very challenging area right here, right below the mouth or the marionette. I mean, the jowls and marionette are a challenging area and there's two treatments I've really liked quite a bit. I typically use them in conjunction with one another. One is called evoke, which is non-contact, sorry, non-invasive whatsoever contouring of the jowl and the marionette. So this is contraction of that skin, heating down to the smaz layer and tightening, and it improves tremendously, again, for the contour of the uh, jowls. I use this in conjunction with uh, filler products in the chin, filler products in the nasolabial folds. So I use it kind of blended with injectables as well to get patients the right contouring. But it's extremely hard and you, you know you have these patients too that come in that want these things filled and you're like, you can't fill you them. Can't. They're just, and you they're see, just too jolly. Right. Yeah, it's challenging. To so, interject on that, because we're doing something that's regenerative, are you seeing results immediately or is the patient having to wait for that at least 90-day time period? So we do treatments once a week for 30 minutes uh, for six weeks. We take photos at each treatment. We take photos again two months after. Um Patients are pretty pretty impressed. They see they see results on the day of. That's again that natural swelling you get after you eat the tissue. But um, we have tons of before and afters on our website, Austin Face and Body, and you can actually see these are our patients, our results, and and they're having amazing results. Um, but again, it's the right patient selection. If you have right. a seventy year old woman that comes in that has extremely loose skin, they they need surgery. That's right. okay. I mean that. And Dr. Rahani's correct. I mean you do need surgery on certain patients, and there's nothing like it. But not everybody wants a facial scar. Even if it's the best hidden facial scar in the world, like that, that's just not always the option. And so this has filled a gap for us. If patients have even more fullness there and they still aren't ready for surgery, we like to use radiofrequency like microneedling with Morpheus 8 around those areas too. So going further up the face to the lower eyelids, lower eyelids are like the holy grail of aesthetics. I mean, I think yes. it's such a challenging area to treat. And I like to use a combination of um, Accutite, which is heat, which is exactly like face type, just a smaller, more precise probe. Um, these are patients who are typically 30 to 50 that are wanting a little bit of skin tightening. Um, and I'll, I'll add that in combination with Morpheus 8, but the resurfacing tip, which is a very fine, uh, non-coated 500 micron tip to heat the skin and contract the skin. I'll also sometimes use um, a fractionated erbium laser called Halo from Cytom that's been really helpful for my patients to blend the skin from all the way to the neck and up. And you can use that all over the body. Because as I've done more and more blended treatments, I really think you have to take from an anatomical standpoint, every single tissue layer, 
what are you doing for the epidermis? What are you doing for the dermis? What are you doing for the skin? What are you doing for the muscle? Like you have to figure out what you're doing. That's how I take it to the neck. And that's how I've done it to the lower eyelids too. As you go further up the face, I think toxins are really, even though we think they're, they're used and used and used in the upper face, I think they're critical in the upper face. If you don't, if you don't start preventative toxins, you're going to get deeper lines and then your options become less and less uh, easy to access. So deep laser resurfacing to the forehead can only get you so far if you have deep, deep lines. And so you, you, you need okay. to start doing, using preventative toxins soon. I like to use, um, uh, you know, for, particularly for the crow's area and coloration, I like to use some sort of intense pulse light treatment. And we use a broadband light through Cyton for those areas as well. Um, and you have to do a critical analysis of the upper lid and the brow architecture. There's a lot of, you know, people doing uh, superior sulcus uh, injectables or, or or brow injectables. And those are very finesse procedures. Yes. But if you have a full, and you know, the weak part of your brow is the lateral third where the subbrow fat connects to the orbital or the superior orbital rim. You know, if that's already fallen and they have dramatic places or heavy skin falling down or they have pre-existing ptosis, I mean, these are things that must be deciphered before you do an injectable Absolutely. or surgery. Um, with radio frequency in the upper face, I'm really looking at more of just a radio frequency microneedling for skin contraction. I have used that in combination with some of the erbium resurfacing to get some really nice lateral brow tightening. It's not a true lift, but it tightens quite a bit, which has been awesome and ad an adjunct with upper lid surgery. Because I think for the upper lids, if you have heavy skin, you really, really need to consider getting a more permanent result of an upper lid cosmetic blepharoplasty at that point. Because whether you do laser or you do radio frequency, it's just a very challenging area to treat. And also, the patients are going to be spending a lot of money and, and they're, they're going to get underwhelming results. Well, that's an, important, so that's an important I part. use that as like kind of the quarterback, the upper lids. Like, all right, all right are we going to do surgery or not there? And if we're not, then I can go through the rest of my aesthetic plan. Right. No, I think that's really important. And I'm glad that you brought that up because the Botox brow lift has become a very popular thing that people want to do. And I always downplay it because it's a very mild result. And if you already have ptosis or a heavy lid, you're not really going to see much because it, again, it's about treating the root cause of what's happening and not just the symptom. And if the root cause is that you have that excess skin there, the only thing that's really going to correct that is a more permanent approach, just like what you were saying. Um, I also agree with what you said with Botox being best done for preventative um, if you're waiting for those lines to be set in, you're going to have a really hard discussion with me of how Botox is not a magic eraser. It's working again on the root cause. It's going to cause those muscles not to contract and those contractions repetitively is really what causes those lines to start to set in as we lose collagen. So, you know, if you treat it before it happens, Essentially, you have the opportunity to never get those deep lines, whereas if you're waiting for those deep lines to show up, you're going to be doing Botox religiously until you start to see them soften. And sometimes, depending on how deep they are, they may not ever completely go away. Um, and it's, again, you have to do the combination treatment like Dr. Paul was saying to get the best results. But even then, 
can't guarantee that they're going to go away. It also has to do with your lifestyle. If, if you're smoking your genetics and everything else that goes along with it. Um, one, one last important thing that I want to bring up, because I think that you covered basically everything. And I literally am still waiting to see you for a consultation. I still plan on doing so because I'm excited about all of these new age treatments that at 35, I think it's a perfect time to start taking advantage of them. You say that Botox is best for preventative. Can you do the treatments that you're suggesting as a preventative? And I bring that up before you answer that, because I'm, when I was 30, when I turned 30, I had that come to Jesus moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting older, which a lot of listeners are going to roll their eyes at, but I don't want to look like the before pictures on these facelift facelift procedures. I want to just maintain. So can you do these slightly more aggressive treatments to prevent things? Or would you recommend that you actually have symptoms of aging before you dive into those more, more invasive than injectables, but less invasive than surgery? So excellent question. I get that question every day um, for my clients who are late 20s to early 40s. And if you understand what radio frequency is doing, um, you know what it's doing is actually creating a thermal heat threshold to the collagen. And that's 42 to 43 degrees external temperature and it's 68 to 70 for internal temperature that's where neocollagenesis happens. That's critical to know that. So what these devices, when it comes to a safety standpoint, it's important to understand is which areas do you treat those temperatures? And when you hit that number, you immediately induce neocollagenesis and you're going to create newer skin. And so that's critical. And so if you start doing those treatments sooner, you know, in areas we've had amazing results are loose skin around the around the bra, loose skin around the tummy, banana roll, things like that. Like areas like that in particular, loose skin after I've had kids, my kids are seven or eight now. Like those are areas where, you know, it works really extremely well when it comes to body contouring with our amazing esthetician team at our practice. Right. And then when it comes to eyes and face, I think the neck, and you know this, Heather, I mean, if people leave their neck alone, they may have the most beautiful face in the world, but their necks just aren't taken care of. And so... Uh, I still go back to some of the basics of sunscreen and just sun protection when you're out because UV, as much as we all love the sun and we want to be out, you got to protect yourself. But RF does a really nice job of doing that. I also think Erbium does a really nice job of not giving you the downtime and the light. I mean, simple, you know, intense pulse light has been critical. And so I think those things really kind of treat down to the cellular level and they don't turn you back to some of those. And we've seen those pictures on or floating around of, you know, some of the big, big facelifts and other things that are totally going to transform a patient when, they, when they're 70 years old, it makes them look like they're 40. But yes, I, I got to be honest, no one wants that anymore. Certain no. people do. But if you're 70, if you haven't been thinking about it and you want to look 40, you, your friends are not going to recognize you. Right. So, so I think if you want to maintain an age gracefully, um, you have to think about that. You do, you, you should think about these preventative procedures and also, don't forget that as we age, after the age of 25 or 30, our bony structure starts to shrink and we start to get a little bit more hollow. So you can't um, not address volume. And right. it, it doesn't have to be, a, it can, it, you know, as much as there's preventative toxin, there should be preventative filler as well because you don't want to be shrunken and then have loose brows that are drooping over, loose heavy skin drooping over, loose lower lids, loose jowls. Just do slight maintenance. And so... Right. 
invest in your injector, invest in Heather, who's in, who's an awesome, you know, injector in Dallas and, you know, as a, as an expert and people like me who aren't going to just say, all right, let's do, let's take you from zero syringes to 12 syringes in, in, in two months. And that's just wrong. I mean, no, it's, you want to do it gracefully. And it's I don't know, that's my thought, at least. I, I think you, I think radio frequency has been phenomenal for preventative and and I'm sure more technology will come out in the future. But right now, that's the best we got. It's yeah, awesome. I, I love that. I think ultimately it all goes back to that four prong approach. You, it's not sequential. It's not step one, do this. Step two, do this. It's always going to be a journey, and you have to trust your person and make sure you commit to them for the treatments that they offer. But if you're not doing if you're not dipping your toe in all four of these buckets, you're not going to get optimal results. So even though you're going to do maybe a surgical approach or a non-surgical approach with Dr. Paul and do devices, you still have to address the volume. You still have to, ha- you still have to address the natural physiological aging process that's going to take place no matter what you're doing in your life. It's just, you know, it depends on multiple factors, but basically go to somebody that you trust, an expert in the field and you know, take part in all of these awesome treatments that we have to offer. But bottom line, if you're not doing basic skincare hygiene, then it's almost pointless to take part in anything else. So if you're still using a tanning bed, if you're smoking, if you're, you know, not taking care of yourself, there, we're not Jesus. We can't just make all of the lifestyle factors go away. But what we can do is offer to give you the best treatment options available for you. Cause essentially that's really what we're trying to do as practitioners is just to utilize what we have in our toolbox to help you feel like the best version of yourself possible. So, um, just to, just to go on an end note, if you're not following Dr. Sean Paul on TikTok, you had better because he, I remember talked to me about my TikTok, but he's like over, like compensated for his lack of presence on there. And now he's one of the best things that you can follow. It's hilarious. And so tell us like how to follow you on TikTok, how to follow you on Instagram. Yeah. So on TikTok, it's the TikTok face doc. And I've been a little lacking in my posting recently just because we had that crazy snowstorm in Austin, but I'm coming back with vengeance soon, but it's been fun. Um, on Instagram, if you want to follow my professional slash a little bit of personal side, it's Dr. Sean Paul. And I post a lot about my professional side, a little bit about my fun personal side as well. Um, for our before and after page, it's, it's at Austin face doc on Instagram. And then for our practice, it's at Austin face and body, but the best source of a lot of what I've talked about today is our website, austinfaceandbody.com. Um, one last note I wanted to say to and Heather, I really appreciate you inviting me to talk today. It's just been a lot of fun and really educational for me too, to kind of really decipher a lot of the myths about um, device and mentally invasive things. And one thing I want to make sure that we're all aware of is that, you know, with new technology comes challenges, learning curves, things like that as well. So you're going to have a lot of doctors who are going to try to adapt. A lot of nurses are going to adapt. A lot of estheticians are going to adapt to these new technologies. Um, I'll speak first to the to the providers. Number one, like you, you can't think there's a one trick pony in aesthetics. This is never going to happen. So don't think that if you're going to think about buying a device, it's going to take away from your filler practice, your surgery practice, your toxin practice. You, they all need each other. Yeah. Um, and then number two, if you're a patient, um, talk talk to a couple of providers, talk to a couple of people, and get some options. Figure out who fits your personality best, because just like we all have, you know 
therapist or realtors or whatever. We have those relationships or your dentist. Like this should not be a transaction. You shouldn't be. And rather, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. You know, some people still price shop for these things. It's oh, not about the price shopping. It's about the, the it's about can this person actually relate to you and give you a realistic get real, realistic um, you know route toward your goal. And if your goal, like today, I had to turn down a patient because she had a, car, a scar in a very specific area that was really hard to treat, and I you know it's really actually satisfying for the patient and me to me say, you know, I can't help you. And that's okay. Because I thought she'd feel helpless, but she said, I really appreciate your honesty. And you didn't just sell me on something that wouldn't work. That that means a lot to a patient because we've all been in that role before too. Yeah. You never want to give somebody a false sense of hope that you should not do. I mean, just ethically speaking is completely wrong. So, um, before we go, I do want to just bring up real quick, you headed the, ideal Austin conference last year that had to be turned virtual because of COVID. And so I got word that you're going to be doing one actually in person this August. So I would like you to have the opportunity to talk just a little bit about that. Sure. So Idea Austin was a passion project of mine, one for philanthropy to support the Central Texas Food Bank. Um, It was supposed to be during South by Southwest in 2020, and we got canceled about a week before. So we we went um, virtual and then... Um, You know, I think think with a lot of practitioners, we're we're craving uh, innovation. So the idea stands for innovation, design, entrepreneurship, and aesthetics. We had a lot of different sponsors, uh, InMode sponsored, Allergan sponsored, uh, Ferrari sponsored. I mean, it was a pretty fun event. Um, Kind of a off-the-cuff sort of discussion, open talk. And it's so hard. I felt I struggled so hard hard in Toronto with taking this thing virtual. And I think, you know, as things open up, our current plan is potentially October around the Formula One weekend because Ferrari is one of our sponsors and there's going to be a big race around that week. And if that doesn't work, it's probably going to end up back at 20 in, in 2022 during South by Southwest. And so if you're interested in learning about aesthetics, if you're um, an aesthetic provider or want to hear amazing speakers like Heather or Dr. Paul Nassif or some of the CEOs, some of the largest companies in aesthetics in the world, like that's kind of what we brought. And plus all the proceeds went toward the Central Texas Food Bank. And so I'm super passionate about it. I think if it would have been live, I, would, I just was supposed to be awesome. We're supposed to have some amazing music artists there as well to make it a fun meeting and educational, and also just bring together a bunch of great people. So uh, look out for the announcement of when the live event will be. And I'm hoping for this fall. I love it. I'm super excited to uh, be a part of that process. Uh, it was it was an awesome uh- great opportunity to do so last year. So guys, if you're not following Sean Paul, not the musical artist, the face artist in Austin, please make sure you do so also on TikTok. Cause like I said, he's incredible on both platforms and Dr. Sean Paul, I appreciate you so much for taking the time to talk with us and just extending this aesthetic series. It's super beneficial for both practitioners as well as clients to listen to this. And I I hope to have another opportunity to have you on again. But in the meantime, I'm going to be booking my appointment soon because I need to, I need to be on your chair immediately. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your trust. And yeah, it was such a pleasure to have you as well participate with our event. But I'm so glad you're getting the word out on 
the four-prong approach. I love that. I think it's so important that patients and providers understand there's not one thing that can treat all of it. So treat from outside to within. And I was glad to shed a little light on this enigma of device and minimally invasive and hopefully help people understand a little bit more about it. Well, thank you so much, guys. I look forward to speaking with you again on the next episode of Sex, Love and Injectables. 